So if you have a Bible, you can open it to Ephesians. And we're going to be in the fourth chapter of Ephesians this morning as we continue this series that we started a few weeks ago on uh, family on mission, which is what is the mission of our church? What is the mission of OCEC, Oregon City Evangelical Church? And we have been talking not just about that mission, but about the values that kind of um, we go by that guide us as we try to accomplish that mission together as a church. Um, our mission is this. Uh, as a church, we're building a community to reach a community. Uh, we are building a community here to reach a community. And as we kind of unpack that over these weeks, what we talked about last week was the first value that we have as a church, which is this. Our values start with this one, the most important, we are centered on the gospel, which means that the message of the gospel and the truth of the gospel, it needs to be present in all that we do and everything that we communicate and as much as possible every time we gather together. And what we mean by the gospel, we kind of talked about this last week, we unpacked it last week, that by any standard that we would measure good or bad, right or wrong, we break it. If I get to make up my own rules about who, how people should behave and how they should live, I'm going to break those rules myself. That's the nature of being people who are fallen. That's the experience that we have of the world around us. And then when we recognize that the problem isn't so much out there with everyone else, but it is in here in me, then we have to ask the question, how on earth could I possibly uh, make up for these things? How can I experience justice? How can restoration happen? How could I ever be forgiven? And the good news is the gospel. The good news of the gospel is Jesus saves. He saves us. We don't save ourselves. We don't behave a certain way, and that saves us. We don't just try really hard to be good people. We don't learn a bunch of information, and that saves us. It's not who we, what family we grew up in or even what church we go to that saves us. It is Jesus who saves us, and that's the really good news on the gospel. And we have a tendency as people who are Christians to want to drift away from the gospel once we've believed it the first time. We kind of use it to get in the door, and then we kind of just drift away into these like religious ways of life where we think, oh, now I'm all about following rules. Now I'm all about uh, a bunch of learning and information and like being a student, and that's kind of it. Uh, or we kind of drift the other way, and we think like, you know, I'm, um, I don't need to really, God doesn't care what I do or how I live at all in my life anymore. Um, I think we even talked last week about the, the big dangers um, in the world we live um, that kind of keep us from wanting to believe the gospel. One of those things is we want to be independent people. We want to be independent. We don't want to be dependent on other people. We don't value that in our culture and our society. Uh, being dependent seems kind of lame to us, like shameful. But the gospel message tells us again and again, you need to depend on Jesus instead of yourself constantly. And I think the other thing we said last week that makes us drift away from the gospel is we tend to want new content, new information. We get bored with the message of the gospel, unfortunately, and we think that there needs to be more stuff that we live our life by when in reality the gospel should be there present in everything. So our first value is that we are centered on the gospel. This week we talk about our second value, and I'm just going to give it to you right now, and it is this. We are empowered for ministry. Uh, we are empowered for ministry. And this comes immediately after the gospel because it has to do with how we live out the gospel moving forward in our lives. So I'm going to read to you out of Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll put it up on the screen for you. We're going to read verses 1 through 17. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus um, from prison. 
And as he's writing to the church, he's been explaining to them for the first three chapters of Ephesians what the gospel is. He's been telling them all the stuff that we talked about last week. He's been telling them exactly how good it is that they've been saved and uh, the grace of Jesus and how much that matters for them. And so he moves on here in chapter 4 to talk to them about how to now live their lives as people who have received the grace of Jesus. Ephesians 4, 1 through 17 says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, here, Paul is talking about our response to the gospel. If you've ever received anything incredibly good and it has changed your life, you would know that it, there is a response that has to come. You have to respond a certain way, especially if it's big enough and good enough. And the question comes after last week, what does it look like for us to respond to, all, to this good news of Jesus? If we believe in the gospel, if we trust in him, if we've been saved in him, then how do we move forward from that point on? And that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. Paul sums up the gospel really well in Ephesians. Um, he, uh, he explains how broken and sinful all of humanity is. And he follows that up with this in chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. He says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. This is good news. The good news is that when we were still dead in transgressions, when we were still sinners, when we had no rights to be forgiven and to be restored and to be a part of justice happening... We were uh, dead in our transgressions, says Paul. We were saved by grace through Jesus, and that is good news, right? 
So the question that follows is how do we respond to God? And Paul answers this in the beginning of our passage this morning, how we respond to God. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, that's him, he's in prison for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. There it is. How do you respond to the good news of the gospel? How does a person supposed to live their life differently moving forward from that? You are to live a life that is worthy of the calling you have received. What does he mean by calling that you have received? We tend to think of calling as like a person getting called to be a pastor, a person getting called to be in some kind of full-time ministry or something. That's a calling. Those people have a calling. The rest of us, we're just kind of people living out our lives, right? Uh, no big deal there. But what Paul's saying here is that all of the people in the church in Ephesus have been given a calling. The gospel came with a calling. And a calling is a job. You've been given a job. You've been given a task to do. But this is much bigger than just going to work for eight hours a day and then going and taking the nights and the weekends off. What Paul is saying here is that the way we respond to God is that we live a new kind of life. We live a new kind of life. Well, that's easy, right? That's like a pretty easy response. We could all do that, right? He tells us that the only way to respond to the good news of the gospel is to start over. You know, the, 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 the language of this in the gospels is like being born again, dying to yourself, picking up your cross. These all indicate me ending and then a new me beginning. And that new me is a new kind of life a life that is worthy of the calling that you have received. Up until now, you haven't been living that way, probably. You probably didn't even know about the calling that you received. So how do we do it? How do we live it out? It's going to affect the way we do church. It's going to affect the way that we interact with our community. It's going to affect every part of our lives as individuals. He says this, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient Bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Well, that sounds pretty simple, right? Be completely humble and gentle. We'll start with those. Be completely humble and gentle. All right, guys, go for that. We'll come back next week and we'll see how everyone did. Being completely humble and completely gentle. Step one is humility. Like the foundation of how a person lives the Christian life Paul refers to the Christian life as a walk. You're walking now, a new kind of walk. Uh, you know, the Christian walk is how we refer to that, right? So the number one foundational thing that's going to change about you, and it has to change first before anything else, is you become humble, right? What does he mean by humble? What he means by humble is you stop being the center of your universe, and you stop expecting that you're going to be the center of all the relationships that you have and all the things that you do. Your agenda now goes away, and there now must be a new agenda. This word translated to be completely humble is lowliness of mind. So in order to be completely humble, you're not just doing humble things, right? Because we all know what that looks like, right? We've seen social media, right? You can do humble things and not be humble at all. We know what humble actions look like. You could come up here and you could give a bunch of money to Mexico after the service, and that can be a humble thing that you're doing in action, right? You could like wash somebody's feet. You can 
feed a homeless person. You can uh, babysit someone's kids. You can babysit your own kids, I guess. That's humble in some way, right? Maybe if you call it babysitting your own kids, there's something wrong there, and you should maybe take a little bit more ownership. But that'll be for a sermon on another day. There are humble actions that you can take. But lowliness of mind means you begin by seeing yourself differently in the equation, seeing yourself differently in the world. As much as we think that we have discovered this in our science classes when we were kids, the universe doesn't actually revolve around you anymore. Now, here's the deal. The universe revolves around each and every one of us prior to coming to Christ. There is no question about that. Hang out with a kid. Then hang out with an adult. An adult is just a kid who knows how to cover up the fact that they're a kid. But the universe revolves around us. What matters is how things are for me and how they affect me and how they impact me. Lowliness of mind is the ability to see myself not as insignificant or unimportant or unvaluable because God says I'm all of those things. To see myself as not being more important than you, as not being more important than the call that God has given me in my life. Step one is humility. If, if I'm a cup, the cup gets poured out, and we start out empty. If I've got a calendar, the calendar gets wiped clean, and you start putting stuff back on it. If I've got a purse full of money, the purse strings get loosened, and the money is now available, and it wasn't before. Humility does not mean that you lose everything. It doesn't mean that you lose all your money. It doesn't mean that you lose all your time. It doesn't mean that you lose all your rights. It doesn't mean that you lose your family, your kids, your marriage. It doesn't mean that you lose your career. Humility means all of these things have to stop being in service to you. And these things now are offered up to God because you have a lower, more accurate view of yourself compared to everything else. Now he's talking, Paul is, about He's describing things that have to do with how we treat other people. Humility in relation to other people. And be completely gentle, he goes on to say. Be completely gentle. you got to be completely gentle with each other. You've got to treat each other like, well, like we're fragile. Like we need people to be careful with us. It annoys us that we have to be careful with people, doesn't it? It like annoys us that we have to watch what we say and think about their feelings. And, you know, Christians love just as much as anyone to offend and to hurt and to be rough with and to not have to be careful. But what Paul says is that we're to be gentle. I was holding, uh, I was holding the maze little baby yesterday. Um, and, uh, you know, one of our worship leaders had a cute little baby and um, I was holding her. I was terrified the whole time. Uh, I wasn't scared holding my own kids. I was scared holding other people's kids. I'm like, I'm going to drop this kid, you know. And uh, you have to be so gentle. You have to be you have to support everything. And you have to be so, and the little baby, like everything is just going towards the baby staying alive. It's like the facial expressions, the little wiggling around and moving. It's like this little baby's going, I'm just barely here. I'm barely here. I've just got to stay here, you know. And I'm like, I hope this baby doesn't just like fade away like in Back to the Future or something, right? And when you hold a newborn baby, you know how gentle you have to be. It is so annoying to us to think that we would have to be gentle with adults, with our kids, with our neighbors, with people that disagree with us on things. And yet we're called to be gentle with one another. That's what this new life looks like. 
he goes on and he says, uh, apart from being humble and gentle, because those are super easy, be patient. What does patience look like? Enduring difficulty over a period of time. So we stop being like people working in factories who are building something and then going, there's the finished product, now I move on. And we become like, more like people who are gardeners, people who are growing things and have to be patient and wait for things to happen, right? He goes on and he says, not just patience, but he says, um, he says that we're supposed to be bearing with one another in love. You translate that literally, do you know what it says? Putting up with people in love. Put up with people in love. It's going to feel like you're putting up with people. That's how it's going to feel, right? So what Paul is describing here is the church. He is talking about how if you receive the gospel and if you accept it, you now have been given a calling, and that calling is to live differently, and that different life that you now have is lived with other people in community. You don't live it alone. You become a part of the body of Christ. And he goes on to point out exactly how unified we're supposed to be. We talked about this when we talked about our mission. That as much as we would like to live this out on our own, or with just a select handful of people who we are most comfortable living this out with, that's not what Paul describes. He says, you are to become a part of this church body, and as you're a part of the church body, you're going to have to be patient and gentle and humble, and you're going to feel like you're putting up with people in love. Why do we do that? Because it's important that we be united. It's important that we have unity, and we should have unity because God handed it to us. We talked about this a few months back when we talked about unity a little bit. That we have been given, Paul says, to maintain the unity of spirit, to keep the unity of spirit that we've been given. We don't have to accomplish it. It's already there. God has made it so that we can have unity. We just have to keep it that way. That sounds easy. How do we respond to God? We live a new kind of life that looks fundamentally different than the life we would have lived before the gospel. Why do we live that new life? Because we've said, God, I'm dead to my old life. I'm now alive in the new one that you give me. The next question is, what does God give us? How does he help us do this? And most of you, if you've been around the church for a while at all, you know the answer to this question. He gives us gifts through his grace. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed it. This is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. This is uh, Paul quoting Psalm 68. He's quoting a psalm. And then he goes on and he starts saying some things that get kind of confusing for us. He says, what does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. What? What Paul is saying very simply is that Christ started out as God. We read about it in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was a part of creation, even, of everything that we know. And he was then manifested in the flesh, which means he descended from being with God to being with us. So he descended and was with us. And we got to benefit a lot. Jesus coming in the flesh changed the world more than any event in human history. And Jesus then ascended back to the Father. 
Well, the reason Paul's bringing this up is he's saying Christ is still there with you. He is still here with us. Because instead of him being here physically manifested, he has said the church is going to be my physical manifestation and you're all going to get gifts. Yay, gifts for everybody. Everybody gets gifts and those gifts are what you will use to be Jesus in the world. So what theologically he is saying, and this is huge, is that Jesus is as alive in the world now as he was then through us. Now, He's not saying that, you know, there's like a person that got all of the Jesus gifts and that's the person that we're supposed to look to. Uh, if you think you're that person, please talk to me after church and I'll probably read you some other things in the Bible. And this may be the way that we wish church functioned. It would be easier in a lot of ways. I want to go to a church with a person. I don't know where they'll stand in the room. Let's just say maybe in this general area. And uh, that person will like be all of the gifts that Jesus has. And they'll be so incredible in that way that it will be undeniable that, that I'm in the presence of God. And I don't have to do anything, which doesn't sound so bad in this season of life I'm in. What Paul's describing is what we are given. What does God give us? He gave some, he gave, he gave himself. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. He gave those gifts to the church, which is like leadership. He gives these gifts that have to do with leadership in order for them to equip his people for the works of service. So people would also, through their gifts, be involved in the service of the church as well. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to be mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What does God give us? Gifts that empower us. We are a people who are centered on the gospel, and we are people who are empowered to do ministry. Everyone in the church is empowered to do ministry. No person is more empowered to do ministry than another person. And no person gets off with no gifts, no empowerment. If you're a believer today, you are empowered through the Holy Spirit with gifts, not talents, but gifts that are intended to be used for Christ to be present on this earth today. That is what Paul is teaching us in Ephesians 4. Now, in order to keep this message to a reasonable length, I am not going to give an hour-long sermon on spiritual gifts. But know that I've got that in me. And, uh, and you would be impressed. And you'd all walk out feeling like, now I know what I'm supposed to do. Can we make that agreement that if I don't do it, that you'll all feel that way still. Okay, good, I like this. I do wanna say this though. You're like, wait, what? I thought you said, no, hold on, just a little bit. You can go grab tomatoes outside and throw them at me if I go too long. Uh, these are not talents, Mark's getting up. These are not talents. Without getting too much into the way church works today, because I'm going to pick on that at the end of the message, I'll just say this. We, we have a very programmed view of ministry in church, and through that, we tend to reduce spiritual gifts to talents that run programs, that get things done at the church a certain way. 
and we then feel like we're not a part of the body if we're unable to do that thing. Now, I would honestly say that you're a real part of the church. Like, you're really in. You're really in when you found yourself coming to church one day going, I'm not using my talent the way I want. Now, you're, now you get it. Because that's the point when using the gifts that God gives us becomes about more than just our own, our own pleasure and our own fulfillment. We have been given, and each person seems to be given a variety of gifts, like a few gifts. There's not just one per person. But these gifts are meant to empower us to be able to be the presence of Christ in the world. They're manifestations. If I say that I love someone, I can say it all day. But manifesting it through my actions is a lot different than just saying it. These gifts are physical manifestations of the grace of God. They keep being described by Paul as grace, grace, emphasizing that we didn't earn it, you don't get to deserve it through anything you did. God gives it to you as grace, and you say, thank you, God, for this gift out of grace, and then we use it because it's a manifestation. What is the result of this? If I'm supposed to walk differently, and God gives me gifts in order to do that, what is the result? What does it look like in the end when we're doing it well, when we're doing it the right way? Then, says Paul, we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. So, Paul's saying this right out here. Uh, you start out as a baby. You start out as an infant. How fun is that, right? You start out as a little infant baby, and we'll be very gentle with you, okay? But we all start out in Christ as infants because we don't know quite enough and that we are getting pushed back and forth by these waves, he says, of doctrine and of teaching and things. I remember feeling this way early on in the faith. I would learn one thing, and that thing would, like, take over my brain, and I couldn't think about anything but that. And then someone would tell me the opposite, and then I'd be ready to walk away from my whole faith because of this thing someone said. And, and it was immaturity in me. And so what, what he's saying is the goal, ultimately, the result of this is that we're to be mature and complete. We are to be mature and complete. That's the goal. That we grow up into people who have a good knowledge and understanding of the word of God. That we need to have a really good knowledge and understanding of the word of God. Now, that should never be divorced from the gospel message. But in order for us to be mature, that's how he describes maturity. He describes it that way. We're not tossed back and forth by waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, what it's going to look like to be mature is speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him that is the head, Christ. So the goal, if we can be humble and patient and gentle and put up with each other out of love, if we work towards unity and don't let the things we disagree on divide us, then ultimately we will grow. We will mature. We'll grow like a body grows. It's not normal for, a body, for certain parts of a body to grow and not others. It's not normal for these things to grow separately. We all kind of grow together. And that's hard for a lot of us because we're individuals. We want to grow at our own pace, in our own way, in our own circumstances. 
But he's saying this is where maturity is going to come from. If you try and walk out this Christian faith a different way, you will not grow. You might learn a lot. You won't grow. You might enjoy church a lot. You won't grow. You might get involved a lot even. You won't grow. You won't be mature. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There's so much to say about what it looks like to do that work, what it looks like to serve and to use these gifts. But I think the most important thing to to really be clear about in teaching through this and why, what it looks like to have this value as a church is we have to acknowledge how drastically different this is what Paul, this picture that Paul is painting is from the way we do church today. This is so different from the way that we understand how the church can even work in our country that it's like dizzying. During World War II, and as we were coming out of World War II, the manufacturing machine of America was in full blast. We were building stuff, we were making stuff, and we were selling a lot of stuff. And believe it or not, those companies didn't want to stop doing that just because a war was over. So we had to figure out how to get people to buy stuff and how to, how to come up with new things to make. And so we invented in America this thing that we now know today and are thankful for as modern advertising. Advertising was created. And thanks to modern advertising, this wonderful invention, there are jingles that none of us, some of us will never get out of our heads. There are commercials that are lying to us, telling us that a hamburger looks one way, only to go and order it and unwrap it and realize just how fallen and broken this world is, right? Like, it shouldn't be this way when it looked that way in the commercial. I've had to, I've had to walk through that pain with my children and it's, it's, it's awful. You can't trust these advertisers. But what advertising and, 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 and never a nonstop onslaught of advertising has done year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation, is it has absolutely successfully turned us into a culture that is a consumer culture. And what a consumer culture tells you is that you need things instead of wanting things. Advertising took the idea of a refrigerator, and instead of being like, yeah, a refrigerator would be nice to have, it became a necessity to have a refrigerator. A car wasn't just something that would be nice to have that no one had yet, it was, became a necessity. Two cars became a necessity, right? This is what advertising does to us, is we watch things, and we listen to things, and we see ads for things, and we go, I think I need that thing. I think the reason that I don't feel complete is because I don't have that thing. This is what consumerism does to us. And to think that it hasn't affected the way that we see church would be so naive of us. We have a hard time understanding how to even do church without it being in this shroud of sort of consumer culture. And so in our minds, what it means to live out the Christian life, what it means to walk the way Paul talks to, uh, tells us how to walk, what it looks like to respond to the grace of God in our current culture is this. Find a place that will give you things that will fill you up and make you complete. 
the relationship, the best kind of relationship that you can have with the church is to find one that meets your individual personal needs. And if you could just find that kind of a community, you're going to be happy and you're going to grow. I recently fell down the incredibly dark hole of something called OC Chit Chat. And OC Chit Chat is a Facebook page for people to just share neighborhood gossip, talk about all kinds of stuff, like just people with a lot of time on their hands and nothing to do but to talk on the internet about things. A lot of complaining going on. A lot of people asking for recommendations on things. A couple nights ago, some helicopters flew over our house. It was really loud. Ellie's like, I'm sure OC Chit Chat will be talking about that. And they were. No one knew anything about the helicopters, but that didn't stop 7,000 people from posting and having very strong opinions about whether helicopters should be flying over at night and any of the things that this means. Well, OC Chit Chat's a great place to find out about, about things, things that you might want to buy or things you might want to do. This person is in search of a super welcoming, fun, inclusive adult dance class. Not bothered with specific type, more interested in the atmosphere. I think that's kind of weird, but okay. Uh, and they get 10 comments, people telling them about a fun, inclusive dance class. Where the heck can I get a good Reuben sandwich in town? 38 people were like, that struck a chord with me. I've got to let them know about the place to get the best Reuben sandwich. And would you believe that some of the posts that get the most responses are church churches? Hey, I'm in need of a fellowship and looking for a non-denominational church with sound theology, a genuine, active love for Christ, and young adults, college age, and group that meets regularly. Any recommendations? Doesn't even have to strictly be in OC. Hey, we're looking for a church in the Oregon City area. Uh, uh, some different qualifications. We went to church last week and we were not impressed with the children's area, and neither was my two-year-old looking for somewhere that has great worship music, message, and kids' areas. I'm on a new church hunt. I was raised Presbyterian, switched to non-denominational a few years ago, would prefer a non-denominational church. A young adults group is a huge plus. Ready, go. 133 responses. Looking for a small little startup church. Doesn't want huge, wants small, that might need a guitar player. Keep hitting a brick wall everywhere I go because they already have an established worship team and I really just want to use my gift. I'm looking for recommendations for a new church with an amazing youth group. Has to be amazing. Preferably a youth group that keeps kids engaged with each other and uh, learning more about God, has fun outings and volunteer opportunities. Where do you recommend? That got a lot of comments. Hi, please, no mean comments. I was born and raised in Oregon. My husband is from Georgia, and we just moved back, and he is a very talented drummer, and we are looking for a home church. We can come from a non-denominational church that love people and worship. Does anyone here know of any good churches that are not fake and need a drummer? Thanks for the help. We all have different things we're looking for. Uh, we want this, we want this, we want this, we want this. Some want big, some want small. Um, but any recent poll or survey on America religious attendance will tell you the same thing. When people outside the church are asked, what would you like for in a church? The response is one that doesn't expect anything from me. You see, I think 
um, it doesn't feel right to us, this idea that we would go somewhere and we would use gifts and we would invest and we would become a part of a community even if we can't check every single box. We believe that's what leads to maturity. That's what leads to growing. That's what leads to walking the walk. Paul says this in Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul is talking about an incredible, incomparable power that we have in Christ. The same power he said that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. This is the power that we have if we are living in Christ and experiencing the grace of God. A parable that Jesus tells at the end of Matthew is about a manager who goes away and gives talents to different people that work for him. The parable of the talents. And he gives some a little bit, he gives some a lot, and he goes away. And the manager comes back and he judges those that he's given these talents to. Some uh, were afraid and they buried the talents, did nothing with them. Some used the talents and lost them. Others used them and experienced great growth. This is an incredibly powerful parable. With this parable, Jesus is saying to his disciples, he is pointing out to them that our God has given us things. He has given us gifts. He has given us this incomparable power that they experienced through the resurrection, watching Jesus be resurrected. The question is, do we bury it in the ground and say, not right now, not in this season, not at this time, not because of the things that I'm going through. I just need something that will pour into me. I just need something that fits my tastes. I just need something that is the perfect fit. Then I can grow up into the faith. One thing I have to say here at the end is this. There are absolutely going to be seasons of life for all of us where we cannot serve. There are going to be seasons of life where things are just too crazy, where we are mourning and life has fallen apart, where we are grieving, where we are suffering, or we are completely depleted. And God has grace for us in that. This is not something that must be a legalistic, obedient type thing. But my question for everybody here this morning is this. Like, are you using the gifts that God has given you that you've been empowered with are you participating in making Christ physically known in this world and the ministry of this body? Are you serving others? Are you loving them? Are you doing that? Or is your understanding of the Christian walk and the Christian life receiving, taking, absorbing, and expecting to grow from that? Let's pray. Father, how do we respond to your grace? How do we respond to the incredible thing that you've done for us as your son, Jesus? 
Lord, you are very clear about what that response looks like. And I just pray right now very specifically against one thing. It's what I think is the biggest hurdle in this for all of us. I just pray against the consumer mentality that has totally warped and distorted how we view church, how we view community, how we view being a part of the body. This is one of the most countercultural things that Scripture teaches. And Father, um, if we believe that life is only found in consuming and finding things that are perfectly tailored to us, then we will never use those gifts and we will never um, be a part of a body. God, would you help us to see how unbiblical that is? Help us to see that, um, that this is what it looks like to walk the walk in Christ. Father, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. As we continue to worship this morning, um, there's going to be a basket up here in the front. And um, if at any point you feel led and you want to give to our Mexico offering, I'd encourage you to do that. We do this this way because offering and sacrificial offering is an act of worship. And we want it to be a part of us worshiping God. But of course, if you've given online, then, um, then I just encourage you to worship and to join us as we do. Would you guys stand and worship with us? Mm-hmm.